Verge acknowledges the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we work, live, and the gallery operates. We recognize that sovereignty was never ceded. We pay our respects to all First Nation people across the world with admiration of any harmonious and symbiotic relationships with land and fauna. Hi everyone, I hope this day finds you well and in good health. My name is Tisha Malott, Director of Verge Gallery at the University of Sydney, and it is with warmth that I welcome you to Verge's podcast series, Opening Drinks. Opening Drinks brings Verge's exhibitors in conversation with fellow artists, academics, and writers for a conversation around creative practices, theories, and processes. Verge is a public art space dedicated to the presentation of contemporary art practice, and its key focus is to present interdisciplinary exhibitions from leading and emerging arts practitioners while providing the University of Sydney students, academics, and visitors an arena for critical dialogue and response. A space without borders, we encourage unique voices and viewpoints. Hi everyone, welcome to this episode of Opening Drinks. Today we are speaking with the wonderful Thea Perkins. Thea Anamara Perkins is an Arunda and Kakadun artist whose practice incorporates portraiture and landscape to depict authentic representations of First Nations people and country. With a delicate hand, Thea answers heavy questions about what it means to be Indigenous in contemporary Australia and how Aboriginal people can and should be portrayed. Thea's Arunda name, Anamara, describes a river and a dreaming that runs north of Mabantua, also known as Alice Springs, the place that keeps calling her back and has been the wellspring of art and activism for her family and, by extension, the nation. Perkins continues her family's commitment to what she calls strong and ready communication and is part of an extraordinary dynasty of First Nation activists and creatives that includes activist Charles Perkins, her grandfather, Arunda elder Hetty Perkins, her great-grandmother, curator Hetty Perkins, her mother, and acclaimed film director Rachel Perkins, her aunt. Says esteemed artist Dr. Brenda L. Croft of Perkins, Thea Anamara Perkins is descended from a renowned lineage of warriors, black and white, fighters for social justice and First Nation rights. Members of her family committed their entire existence seeking better lives, not only for their immediate relations, but also for all First Nations people. Raised in Sydney, Thea has family ties to the Redfern community. She has worked in a broad range of community projects and is also an active member of SEED, Australia's first Indigenous youth-led climate network. Thea won the Alice Prize and Dreaming Award in 2020 and the Brett Whiteley Travelling Art Scholarship in 2021. In this episode, we will be talking with Thea about her family, practice, and that which endures, Thea's latest body of work that was shown at Verge in September 2022. That which endures illuminated lesser-known moments of the assimilation period and the fight for Indigenous civil rights in the 60s. Alongside these figurative images, a large landscape painting showing both the birth and resting place of Charles Perkins was displayed, connecting country to ancestry. The works featured Charles Perkins during his time as a student at the University of Sydney, as well as other key historical moments of the Foundation for Aboriginal Affairs in Sydney and the Freedom Rides. Thea's paintings provide a very human aspect to this period, as well as insight into the construction of our identity as a university, society and community, exploring what calls and compels us and what endures. 
So That Which Endures features a lot of images from the simulation and the Foundation for Aboriginal Affairs in Sydney and a bit about the Freedom Rides. Um, through your paintings, uh, can you tell us like a few or talk to us through a few highlights that you've captured within this body of work that kind of um, tells us more about the group, their histories, principles and impact towards civil rights for Indigenous people in Australia? Yeah, so this um, body of work um, is extending on my interest in using my family archives. Um, and in this instance, um, it's sort of is beginning with looking at, instead of my family archives of my grandfather, the wider archives, including some of Robert McFarlane's photography, which is, you know, followed him around uni for one day. And they're really beautiful images because I think they're really kind of pensive and thoughtful. And it was at a time when he was on the cusp of doing all of these really big things. But it's beautiful to kind of hone in on those moments that are at the kind of periphery of that activity. And also are really beautiful in the university context, you know, because I think when you are a student, you know, you are trying to grapple with the world and um, formulate all of these things. But so extending that, I was looking at the kind of public archives of my grandfather, but also the archives of events that were happening around the time of his university days, um, including the Foundation for Aboriginal Affairs, which was very significant because it was providing services to um, First Nations people coming to the city and formed the blueprint for a lot of the services that we enjoy today, like the legal services, housing services and medical services. And yeah, it was very grassroots. And the images that I've included include, you know, when they were going to do housing inspections for community in Sydney and a fate to raise money for the foundation and the first debutant ball in Sydney. Yeah, and they're all very much about, despite the kind of sinister policy at the time, affecting change and asserting community pride. And I think that that is also this idea of the radical spirit and, you know, making change at a grassroots level um, is echoed in the Freedom Rides, which were also around that time, which were very much about shining a light on the conditions and issues facing Aboriginal people. And it had a bit of a wildfire effect in making people see the disparity. But they all have, um, I think, that beautiful spirit, but they're all kind of on the cusp, I guess, all of the images that I've shown and kind of are intended to convey a, a kind of personal scale, mm. that beautiful kind of in-between. Mm. And uh, just so that for our listeners who don't know much about the Freedom Rides, the Freedom Rides was a uh, group of 30 students led by your grandfather, Charles Perkins, uh, who travelled to Walgett, Moree and Barrowville and Kempsey to protest against discrimination and poor living give, uh, conditions in Indigenous communities and Indigenous people. So it was a very um, important time in Australia. And uh, you, you've mentioned in our past conversations about, you know, how that activism and how people learned how to be activists in, in, this, in these actions, um, yeah, which is quite beautiful. And can you tell us a little bit more uh, about your grandfather? Yeah. Um, so for me, he was my grandfather. So I have this um, very personal connection to him. 
but it's also very much separate to his you know, his public image and his public life. He was a beloved family man. And I always remember him, you know, being super driven with his work. And I could feel, you know, even as a child, like his passion for First Nations people and, but, you know, everybody really, it really always has left us, you know, a lasting impression on me. Yeah. And I think that that's something that I am trying to communicate in this work by choosing lesser known images because it is people that drive these movements, but also wanting to convey that we all have agency, you know, and it is small, small actions can have a really huge ripple effect. And I think this is a really important time to look at this period in in history, especially for students of University of Sydney, I guess coming out of, you know, these lockdown periods and covid And we've seen actually protests on campus being stumped out quite quickly and quite forcefully by the authorities. So, you know, it's it's really this kind of, it's not even a balance. It's just a reminder that, you know, that we still need to keep pushing forward and we still need to have this advocacy and activism because it can have long and far-reaching kind of effects to the benefit of many community members. Um, yeah, so... Totally. Yeah. yeah. Advocacy is so important and continually important and um it, yeah it's 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 just as significant now um the issues kind of change and morph but it's something that i do think that there's almost kind of a a stealthy way of kind of quashing this kind of radicalism and that's what i also wanted to do in my work is try and evoke that spirit that people can really rally around, that collective excitement. And it, I guess it's also optimism because it is really, especially, you know, over COVID and all, I think there is, you know, it affects people's energy and optimism. So, and they're actually really important for... Mm. Yeah, and that, I think that these movements. this project in particular, you're really showing your strong activist voice. And I think that should be really recognised. And yeah, and I think that's you're working really well in this space. And um, yeah, it's good good to see. And, you know, from learning about this activism and this act space and being activists and that you talk about pride, how did that really, uh, I guess, how did that lead to the Freedom Rides? And, and can you tell us a little bit more about the Freedom Rides and its importance in Australian history? Yeah, um, the Freedom Rides also happened in the following year. Um, so they're both were happening around the same time and the Freedom Rides were a very significant um, part of the civil rights movement in Australia because they helped to shine a light on um, the conditions for Aboriginal people and the issues they faced in Australia. And it had been previously in many ways been a kind of out of sight, out of mind thing. So shedding that light was hugely significant and on the living conditions and also the treatment and segregation that was happening. And was the was the foundation, was it made of students from the university or was it a community or was it like, or I guess, part of the larger community in, in Sydney? Um, I think it was part of the larger community um, in Sydney um, and it was people that just wanted to make um, a positive impact. Um, so it wasn't, you know, necessarily any one area, 
um, it's where a lot of people also, young people came and they learnt um, their activism there from hearing people speak um, and gathering there. And um, yeah, it was, it's also remembered as by my grandmother who was there as a very happy time, but it was also pre the movement towards like self-determination kind of also it facilitated that because it did have a whiteboard that they were answering to. And so, you know, it, it's also interesting because from there that like kind of like um, Aboriginal owned Aboriginal run organisations kind of stemmed from there from seeing that need during that period. That's pretty amazing. And your grandfather, Charles, factored quite prominently within that organisation as yeah, well. Yeah, he helped to establish it. And in the exhibition, who are some of the other notable people in the paintings? Um, there's one image of um, Pearl Anderson and Richard Gorton, who was the prime minister at the time. And it was at the first debutante ball that was organised by the foundation that I think is um, yeah, very much symbolic of um, that assertion of pride, even within yeah, what was happening at the time. Yeah, great. And um, the, this exhibition, which that which endures, fits into your greater practice and makes up part of your ongoing investigation of family lines, relationships and memory. What attracts you towards your family archives as source material for your paintings? Um, I've always been um, attracted to my family archives and I've always been governed by... Uh, or th- always thought it was important to follow compulsion. Um, it's also kind of forms a part of talking about what I, you know, what I know and my experience. And I think that family is a great way to explore that. And then um, in this body of work, the black and white imagery, that carries a lot of symbolism as well, doesn't it? Um, yeah, so with this body of work... Um, the black and white, it, it was my first time using a monochromatic palette um, and it was, you know, it was interesting because technically as a challenge because I mix all of um, my colours um, but also, you know, u- utilising shade, I suppose, and those kind of considerations but it became reflective of the idea of um, assimilation and because that policy was all was centered around colorism. So, um, and that was also why I wanted to include that landscape as a colorful element because it counterpoints the black and white as something that's kind of, um, reduced to shade. Um, but things in, you know, in color, is to me is like, you know, reflective of the vibrancy of culture and which is drawn from country. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's really amazing how you can um, draw these lines between country and people through your landscapes and portraits. Yeah. And it's also the um, black and white was also, you know, interesting too because it was, you know, a lot of the records from that time are black and white and I had been looking at um, how to use those and kind of, yeah, energise them in my practice. Yeah. Hmm. And you painted a great number of these works um, on country. Um, And I just wondered, what does the day on country look like for you, like while you're practising and while you're painting? Yeah, well, I think that 
um, you know, it has a pretty similar feel to being um, in the studio here, but the power of being on country is its restorative energy and it is a wellspring for our family in definitely in, yeah, drawing that kind of energy that fuels a lot of um, our work and, yeah. yeah. That's great. And um, looking at, you know, the amount of archive footage that we have of this time um, and especially of the Freedom Rides, how did you select and edit the photographs that feature in, in these paintings? Like, how do you approach something like that? Um, in the same way that I approach my family archives, because this wasn't using my family archives, um, I did, it's a kind of an extension of that in the sense that um, some of these archives did feature my grandfather and they were also defined by being around that period of time that he was at uni. Yeah, I wanted to look at that in this show because it was to engage with the site that the show um, was on. Even though these weren't my kind of personal archives, I was guided by images that I thought were um, powerful or interesting and also that I thought um, conveyed a sense of the time and the mood. And, you know, I think that it was a very kind of um, fertile period in terms of that, like, radical, optimistic spirit that, you know, that change could be affected and you could have that kind of impact. So I was kind of, yeah, keying into those moods and then, um, yeah, and being guided by images that I um, thought were powerful but also, um, you know, interesting on a technical level. Hmm. And there's some really beautiful moments like um, the quadrangle at the University of Sydney with your grandfather leaning over to tie his shoes to a really, uh, actually probably two of my favourite paintings in this show of the um, the children um, the having with like that kind of looking up into uh, the camera or into the, the viewer's eyes. There's some really beautiful moments that you've captured there. Um, yeah. What if any influence has your paint family had on your actual painting practice and how do you evoke this influence in your work? Well, I guess because um, my mum is a curator, so I've always grown up surrounded by artists and art um, and but also having that connection to Mbantua in Central Australia. I've had the uh, the, you know, exposure and a great appreciation for the central desert movement, but also what's happening here in the contemporary scene. Mm. Um, so I guess that's why I very much engage with both of those traditions in my practice, but also I think that's been really influential too in um, fostering, you know, critical thought, especially about my own work. But I think growing up, you know, politics and what was being engaged with what was happening in the world was very much, you know, like a dinner table a conversation and we were all very engaged in that and hearing, you know, the stories from these big movements and understanding the um, the sacrifices and the work and the many people that are involved in making those things happen really fed into my practice and what I am drawn to, but also understanding that art is a communication tool and a great advocacy tool. 
Mm, and you can space. see that activism and advocacy in your practice and in your paintings. And I guess outside of your family, have there been any other great art influences or influences um, that have fact, like, have featured or feature in in your practice now? Um, yeah, like I think I always said that my favorites are Emily Nguare and um, Gordon Bennett because I think that Gordon Bennett's uh, an amazing artist because he took all of these paradigms and really, you know, kind of was had the clarity to see what was happening um, at the time that he was working and then break down those ideas in a really incisive way. Um, and especially um, surrounding First Nations people and Emily Nguare, just the fluency um, and dynamism of her style um, yeah, and how, like, kind of erudite she was, was really, yeah, influential to me, yeah. Yeah, and you have you yourself, uh, as, like, a technician, as, as an artist and a painter, you have this really beautiful way of, it feels like you would be painting in an abstract way and then stepping back and then the figurative would come into view. And that, I think that's a really, um, that's a really high technical skill that you have and a really beautiful way of painting. Can you tell us a little bit about your methodology or... Um, yeah, so the um, I'm very interested in color science, and um, yeah, I get a lot out of um, just being in the studio and yeah, playing around with that. So um, you know, this was a great opportunity, um, yeah, to investigate the monochromatic and that side of things. But in terms of um, how I start my practice, um, I actually start with really um, precise um, drawings and then, um, you know, depart from there. Mm. And some, like, a person asked me this recently and I thought it was a very interesting question, so I'm going to throw it at you. Um, what skill or understanding have you picked up along the way that you didn't think you would need, but in the end that you are glad that you have? <laughs> I think that like maybe not not uh, probably not exactly the um, aligned with the question, but style as something that you develop along the way or or just kind of have. I think especially when you're learning or you're or starting out and being influenced by what's happening with other artists, you can kind of try and push against style. But I've actually really you know come full circle to appreciate style is something that is unique to individuals and is actually, you know, instead of resisting it, it's a beautiful thing to mm. embrace. Especially when you're just learning uh, a new craft or figuring out how to really work the tools and, and the materials, you know, you really need to lean on those kind of uh, influences. Uh, but you're right, eventually your own hand and your own ideas and your own way of understanding the world comes through in your in your practice. Mm. A really good thing to keep in mind um, for a lot of our students who are listening today. And you're wrapping up a residency at Carriageworks Studios and have just finished a few projects. What does the next year hold for you? Thank you. 2023. It's on the precipice. Yeah, um, I think that um, in much the same that, you know, this was, this show was looking at extending my 
practice into new areas. I very much look forward to doing that in 2023 um, in kind of consolidating um, previous ideas and taking them further and kind of crystallizing them, but also um, exploring new avenues. Yeah, cool. So uh, That Which Endures was an exhibition at Verge Gallery in September 2022. And it was a real pleasure to work with Thea again on this project. Um, and I really enjoyed our conversation today, Thea. And I really want to thank you for coming in and chatting with us. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a real honor. Yeah, I can't wait to see what you do next. Oh, it'll be a mural at Carriageworks? Yes, opening on the 14th of December. 14th of December, 2022. We've got a, a huge mural at Carriageworks opening up. So look out for them. Thanks again, Thea. Thanks for joining us today. Opening drinks are hosted by Verge Artists and produced by me, Tisha Malat. I am supported by our wonderful editor, Gabrielle Ann, and Min Wong, our media and communications coordinator. The opening drink soundtrack entitled The Creator was written and performed by the incredible Rainbow Chan. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Just check out the Verge website, verge-gallery.net, for our contact information. See you next time, and until then, stay safe. You did not make me. You did not make me. You did not make me.